Well, good morning, River Glen. Welcome to all of you here in the room. Welcome to everyone watching online, and of course, welcome to everyone in Pewaukee. Uh, my name is Jason, and right now, all I want is a cookie. Man. Uh, seriously, though, I'm Jason Vanderpaul, and I got to join the staff here a short while ago, and I get the great privilege and honor of being serving as the campus pastor of our campus out in Pewaukee. Give you a little bit of background on me. I spent the better part of 15 years doing the corporate thing out on the West Coast uh, before God called me into ministry in 2011. I got a chance to serve at a big church out in California for three years and saw some incredible things. I grew a ton and just got to witness God do amazing things in people's lives. And then my wife and I had a, a bunch of conversations and we made a big big decision, and that was to pack up our family and move back home to the Midwest so we can raise our kids in this part of the country. Got a picture of my crew, so you know who I'm talking about. This is my wife, Valerie, uh, my son, David, and my daughter, Madison. This is from a trip we took down to Nashville earlier this year. And the big reason that uh, drove us back to the Midwest was I had accepted an opportunity to serve as the executive pastor at the Ridge Community Church over in Greenfield. Now, if you've been a part of River Glen for a while, then the name The Ridge should sound a little familiar to you because River Glen actually planted The Ridge back in 2006. Turns out it's a really small world, isn't it? Well, I got to serve at The Ridge for a little over six and a half years and, again, had an incredible season. Got to watch God do amazing things in people's lives and really enjoyed ourselves. And then uh, earlier this year, as that season kind of came to a close, I like to say that God made us an offer that we couldn't refuse. And we joined the incredible team here at River Glen and are privileged and honored to be able to stand alongside all of you in our mission here to make more and better followers of Jesus. And we couldn't be happier about it. I just want to say thank you for welcoming us as well as you have. We are just grateful to be here. And if you would allow me, please, just a little sales pitch. Uh, if you happen to live out near the Pewaukee area, or if any of you have not had a chance to experience a service at our Pewaukee campus, then consider this your personal invitation. We've got an incredible team down there and just a beautiful campus, and it would be our privilege and honor to serve you and your family one weekend. So I hope to see you there at some point. Well, as Sue said, we are in week number five of our series, Real Prayer for Real People. And we've been unpacking this powerful little prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, often called the Lord's Prayer. Now, what I find fascinating about this whole thing that we've been talking about is this. For the disciples, prayer wasn't a new thing for them. Right? They'd heard prayer before. They'd seen people pray before. I'm pretty sure they had prayed before. But there was something about the way Jesus prayed that just intrigued them. And it made them ask, Lord, will you teach us to pray like you pray? because it was so different. I, I like to think it's because these guys grew up listening to religious people pray religious prayers. And this for them may have been the first time they ever got to hear a real person pray a real prayer. I think for them, part of what made Jesus' prayers so different is they were simple, right? They were clear, easy to understand. Certainly they were inspiring, right? We know that. But I think most of all for them, the way Jesus prayed was powerful. Maybe that was something they hadn't experienced before. The end result of all this we see in the text is that the way Jesus prayed made these guys want to pray. And I think that was the point of the whole thing, right? Certainly it's our goal with this series is that this powerful little prayer, 66 words, would inspire all of us to pray every single day. And that this prayer would make a difference in our lives as well. 
And so if you've missed any of the past few weeks or any of the, the different lines that we've unpacked, I encourage you, go online, catch up on the messages there. Or if you haven't yet, be sure and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We've got every message we do on there, a bunch of other great content for you and your family that would serve you well. So be sure and check that out. But let's start today as we've started every week in this series, and let's say this powerful prayer together. And for all of you in Pewaukee, I want to hear it extra, extra loud, okay? Here we go on the count of three. One, two, three. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And we all said, amen. Well, for me, the Lord's prayer always reminds me of going to AA meetings. And I'll explain that a little bit. I was, when I grew up, my mom was a single mom and she was a recovering alcoholic. And so we went to a lot of AA meetings as I was a kid. Only AA meetings back then aren't like they are today. Back then you could still smoke in the room. And so I'd be hiding out under the cloud of smoke overhead in a corner with a bucket of Legos and just kind of keep to myself as the meeting was going on. And then at the end of the night, as they do today, everyone would stand up They'd get in a circle, they'd hold hands, and they would recite the Lord's Prayer as a way to close out the meeting. I was probably the only kindergartner in my school who knew every word of the Lord's Prayer by heart. But what I think is interesting about this experience is the context of the meeting itself. You see, a recovery meeting really is just a front row seat into the brokenness in people's lives. If you've never been to a recovery meeting, the context or the crux of the meeting is really simply this. It's one individual after another just sharing stories about how one bad decision led to another bad decision, which led to another bad decision, and so on. And many of these individuals eventually hit rock bottom. On a typical night, we would hear stories about broken relationships, financial ruin, divorce, abuse, unemployment, loneliness, homelessness, anger, bitterness, and the list just goes on. All of these, of course, were the results of choices that people had made in their lives. Now, don't hear me wrong, a lot of these stories ultimately had happy endings. But believe me when I tell you, it took a lot of pain and a lot of work to get there. Now, what I find interesting, again, looking back at that experience, it's given me a greater appreciation for one specific line in the prayer that we're going to look at today. And this is the line right here. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So I got to ask you, why would Jesus tell us to pray this? Why would he include this line in the Lord's Prayer? Because the other, the other lines we've looked at, I mean, so far in the series, to be honest with you, a lot of the other lines are just, I don't know, happier. <laughs> they're just more positive. They're more encouraging, right? We, we did prayers like on adoration. We had another prayer on petition. Uh, one guy a couple weeks ago had a bag of tortilla chips up here. I mean, so far, some of the other lines in this prayer have been kind of fun. This feels really dark to me. This comes across more like a prayer of protection, which again begs the question, why do we need a prayer of protection in the Lord's Prayer? And I think we'd all know the answer. Certainly every parent in this room knows the answer to this. I think anyone who's ever been in recovery knows the answer to this. Certainly the kids in that video know the answer to this. And it's because of this, because life is full of choices. We all know this. Life is full of choices. And there are really only two categories of choices. There are good choices. Or we would say wise choices. And the result of good and wise choices is what? 
What's good consequences, right? But there's, there's another category. There are bad choices or unwise choices. And the problem with a bad choice is that the consequence of a bad choice isn't just bad consequences. It's almost always and inevitably pain. Pain for the individual and pain for all the people around that individual. And so this is the reason why Jesus included this critical line in the prayers to remind us, to teach us, to challenge us, to not cause pain. Not cause pain for ourselves or for anybody else. You know, it's no accident that just last week we talked about confession. The line right before this line in the prayer is all about confession. So then the big idea about this line is simply this, to keep us, to put us in a position to do whatever we got to do to not have anything to confess. So we don't have anything to confess to anyone about how we've made bad decisions and how we've messed up our lives. This is why we are taught to pray a prayer of protection every single day. So what do we know about this thing called temptation? Kind of a big word, right? Temptation. They say to be human is to be tempted. Right? If life is full of choices, then every bad choice we could make is always preceded by a little space, a little moment we call temptation. To be human is to be tempted. It's part of the human experience. It's really everywhere you look. There's even a perfume out there called Secret Temptation. There's a reality TV show out there called Temptation Island. If we're all honest, any advertisement, clickbait, billboard, or commercial we see is really just another form of temptation, trying to get us to do something, buy something, go somewhere, right? It's everywhere that we look. So here's three things that we need to know about temptation as we dive into this today. The first thing, probably the most important, is this, that temptation does not come from God. We can't say that because it's not true. Temptation doesn't come from God. James, the brother of Jesus, cleared all this up for us. James chapter 1, verse 13, he says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So that, if that settles that, then he begs the question, well, then where do our temptations come from? Well, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus talked about the fact that we, we have an enemy. And our enemy comes like a thief in the night to steal and kill and destroy. That is where our temptations come from. Second thing we need to know about temptation is this, that Jesus was tempted and so will we. You can bet on it. Right, in the Gospel of Luke, as he explains the story of Jesus, he talks about just after Jesus was baptized, he went out to the desert to spend some time alone in the wilderness to be with God. Right, the verse goes like this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan where he was baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Now the text goes on to explain that while he was out there, Jesus was tempted with three things. The first thing he was tempted with was food which is important because maybe you don't know this detail. For those 40 days, he fasted that entire time. Now, I've been hangry before. I have never been that hangry, all right? 40 days without food. So first thing he was tempted with was food. Second thing was fame and glory. And the third thing he was tempted with was power. Now, the scripture goes on to tell us that Jesus overcame these temptations. Obviously, went on to have an incredible ministry. But the fact remains that if Jesus was tempted on his mission we can be certain we're going to be tempted on our mission as well. Which brings us to the third thing that we need to know about temptation, and that is this. The goal of temptation is to poison your purpose. Do you remember the movie Twister? 
I'm dating myself here, I know, right? <laughs> this movie Twister, right? There's this great, line, the great scene in this movie where the two main characters are in this pickup truck and they're kind of drive, trying to drive down this road while this giant storm is behind them. And all this stuff is kind of flying throughout the air and she's in the passenger seat and he's driving and she yells, left! And he turns left because like this giant tire came rolling by and she says, right! And he turns right because like part of a house rolls by and at one point like a cow flies by the window or something. That's a great metaphor for what it is that we're talking about. Because the temptations we face are really like the junk in the road that try to keep us from where we're going. This is why the devil tried so hard to poison Jesus. Because he knew the mission that Jesus was on. And he tried everything he could to get in the way of that. And you say, well, well, I'm not Jesus. And you're right. You're not. And neither am I. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a mission. And that doesn't mean that we don't have a purpose and a plan for our lives. The truth is, every single one of us in here, and everyone watching online, and everyone in Pewaukee, we were born on purpose for a purpose. And the temptations we face put our purposes at risk. I got kind of a fun example of this. A few months ago, uh, in our house, we made the big decision to buy Disney Plus. Have any of you gotten that yet? Yeah, it's fun. It's been great just diving into all the content they have, but for us, it's been really fun just catching up on all the old classics and sitting there watching some of the classics with, with our kids. One of my favorites, though, is this one. Remember Pinocchio? Oh, yeah, what a good movie. So rich, right? Pinocchio is about a master craftsman with a father's heart, and all he wants is a little boy to love. So he makes one. He makes a puppet out of wood and string, and a fairy comes down and blesses the puppet, puppet and poof, he comes to life. And the puppet looks at the little boy, Pinocchio, and he says, now I'm going to give you a mission. If you can, if, the big if, if you can lead a life that is brave and truthful and unselfish, then I will come back and I will make you a real boy. And now all of a sudden, we have the plot to the movie, right? But it doesn't end there. To help him on his journey, right, to keep him, to give him some, some companionship and some support, she grants him, remember this guy? Remember Jiminy Cricket? Don't we all need a Jiminy Cricket in our lives, right? The fairy gives him Jiminy Cricket to be his conscience for the mission. And there's this great scene. I don't know if you remember this, but there's this great scene in the movie when Jiminy Cricket is actually giving Pinocchio some advice. And he explains to him, he warns him about this thing called temptation. And he probably summed it up better than anybody I've heard. He says to him, Pinocchio, you know, temptation is, uh, well, it's, it's when the wrong thing feels like the right thing at the time. You just can't say it any better than that. That's brilliant. Temptation is when the wrong thing feels like the right thing at the time. Well, this wisdom obviously gets put to the test, and Pinocchio gets tempted big time. Because he hitches a ride to a place called Pleasure Island. And Pleasure Island is a place where he is given absolute freedom to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, wherever he wants, with whoever he wants, as much as he wants. Right? Instead of leading a life that is brave and truthful and unselfish, he's told, nah, forget all that, man. You do you, bro. You do you. Sound familiar? Well, what happens? Well, he learns, he learns what a lot of us have learned, that a life without boundaries isn't good for anybody and doesn't do anybody any well. Ultimately, he becomes something that we're not allowed to say in church. So we'll just say he becomes a you-know-what. So much for his dream of being a real boy. 
And you look at that picture, and I know it looks kind of funny, right? Maybe you might giggle. But if you've ever been there, if you've ever sat right there, it doesn't feel funny, does it? It hurts. I look at that, and I see someone in pain. Because sin always causes pain for ourselves and for other people. And I look at that, and I see shame. Because our shame is what pulls us away from God. It makes us feel alone. Well, the book of Hebrews is actually a great place to turn as we talk about facing the temptations in our lives. If you've been around the church world for any length of time, you're probably familiar with the book of Hebrews. Probably chapter 11 is what you've heard of before. It's probably the most famous chapter in this book. Chapter 11 is kind of like the, they call it the hall of faith. It's like the hall of fame of the Christian faith. All the rock stars of the Christian faith from antiquity are listed here. I mean, the superstars, right? Guys like Moses and Abraham, women like Rahab. I mean, really, this list could kind of serve as like the founders club of our faith. Truly, if it wasn't for these individuals and their contribution to our faith, none of us are here right now, right? It's a big deal. Now, what's exciting is that the very next chapter, chapter 12, opens up with a verse that really is our invitation to join that group. We actually get invited to join the rock stars of the faith. Here's the verse right here. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, starts with this word here, therefore, quick little Bible tip for you. Anytime you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, it means pay attention. Pay attention because this is really, really important. Therefore, since we, we is we, 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 all of us, we, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's that list of the rock stars of the faith, right? Literally means like they're in heaven looking down at us, cheering us on, saying, go, go, stay in the fight, you can do this. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Now, this verse is so rich. We could spend a lot of time unpacking it. But we're only going to unpack two words today. And we're going to start with this word right here, entangles. That's kind of my favorite word in this whole passage. If you go back to the original Greek language that the New Testament is written in, and you look up that word, it only appears in the Bible one time, right here. And the definition kind of means things like holding you back or weighing you down. So to kind of help you understand what this word means, think of it like this. Let's say you decided to sign up for and race and win the Lakefront Marathon this fall. But in order to do it, you had to lose 100 pounds before race day. That's what this means. It means get rid of the stuff that's weighing you down and holding you back. We got to get rid of it. Because if we don't get rid of it, eventually we're going to get stuck. Have you ever been stuck before? You ever felt just stuck? I have. Back in 2001, I went out for a night of drinking with my friends. We had scored backstage passes to see a band play at the House of Blues in downtown Hollywood. And we rolled up, got to our table, and we started drinking, and we drank all night. When the band finally finished, we slammed our cups down, we all got in my brand new pickup truck, and I drove us home. Well, I tried to drive us home. Thankfully, not long after we left the club, I was pulled over and arrested, and I went to jail. I'd never been in jail before. Turns out it's not a joke. They really do lock you up. It's the real thing. You can't just say, oh, time out. Just kidding. 
It's the real deal. They slammed that door shut, and I was stuck in there. And I knew it, too. Even in my drunken state, I knew I was stuck. And I knew I didn't want to be there. I knew I wanted out. I didn't want any part of this life. And I felt the shame. Right? This, unfortunately for me, this would be one of a few times that I would hit bottom. But sitting there on the bench in the jail cell, I felt all the shame. And the irony that came, that came with the fact that I, I, I was a kid. I grew up going to AA meetings. I'd heard all these stories. I knew better than this. And now all of a sudden, I was one of those stories. I had become one of the stories that I heard about. And now all of a sudden, I was going to need to go to AA meetings. Well, that night was almost 20 years ago. And by God's grace and by the gift of 12-step recovery, hopefully this November, I will celebrate 20 years of sobriety. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for that. Right. Here's why this is so important. Don't miss this. Because I really do believe, I really do believe that God has a purpose and a plan for my life. And who knows where I would be if I hadn't quit drinking, right? Maybe in jail, maybe dead, who knows? I know for certain I would have caused a lot more pain to myself and to the people around me. And I know for certain I would have missed out on so much, so many great things in this life. I know that no doubt I wouldn't be here standing here talking to all of you. I believe in the core of my being that God has a plan and a purpose for my life, and I believe he has a plan and a purpose for your life, which is the main meaning of the word we're going to look at next, this word down here, race. As you saw earlier, I've got a little boy. He's going to turn nine this fall, and having a little boy is so much fun because he turns almost everything into a race or a competition. We could just be going down to get the mail. He'll look at me, hey, Dad, want to race? Yes, son, absolutely. So let me ask you, what's the difference between a race and just going for a walk? You see, in a race, something is on the line, isn't it? Right? Something is always on the line. It could be a, a, a prize. It could be a trophy. It could just be bragging rights, right? But something is always on the line. And the more valuable that's on the line, whatever that thing is, the more exciting the race, Right? Did you know that you and I are in a race right now? Did you know that we are part of something so spectacular, so incredible, it is life-changing and history-making? Did you know that? 80 times in the Gospels, 80 times, Jesus spoke about this thing called the kingdom of God. You and I are a part of that. We are actually part of the story that God is writing in humanity right now. This is a big deal. It's a big deal because that means your life and my life and every life that we will ever have a chance to influence is on the line. So what do we need to do? We need to get rid of the junk in the road. We got to get rid of the stuff that's holding us back and weighing us down. We got to get rid of it all because in the words of the great theologian Elwood Blues, we are on a mission from God, baby. Right, this is important. I like the way Zig Ziglar puts it. Remember the old author, Zig Ziglar? He had this great quote. He says this, The chief cause of failure and unhappiness is trading what you want most for what you want now. Now, what do we want most? If we all got together in a room with a big whiteboard and shared ideas, I bet you we'd probably all come up with about the same five or six things. What do we really want most in this life? 
Well, we want healthy relationships. Healthy relationships that last. That would for sure be on the list. What else do we want most? We, we probably want a little peace as it comes to our finances, right? We want to feel a little joy and happiness every single day. We want to live a life that has meaning and has purpose in it. And when it's all done, we want to leave behind a legacy that we can be proud of and our family can be proud of. Right? That's what we want most. So what gets in the way of all that? What's the, the junk in the, in the road, per se? Well, it's the stuff that we want now. And again, if, if we were all together and we shared ideas, we would probably distill it down to probably the same five or six things. What's the stuff that gets in the way? Well, relief from pain. Temporary relief from pain. Some sort of physical pleasure. Right? Some kind of emotional validation from someone. Maybe a feeling of control. Or maybe the feeling of freedom that tells us, I can do what I want, when I want, whenever I want, blah, 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 blah. So if you think about it that way, then really any temptation we face is weighing the difference between two things, passing pleasures and lasting treasures. This is, this is ultimately what Moses had to deal with. Right? We go back to that, that chapter 11, the hall of faith, the rock stars. We're talking about Moses, like Moses, Moses. There's a great line in chapter 11 where it says this, Moses, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. It's right there. This is ultimately what Jesus had to deal with. Think about that. 40 days he's in the desert. 40 days without food. He's starving. He's weak. And the devil comes to him and literally says, you can either have the mission you got from God or you can have a loaf of bread. You choose. And the same is true for all of us. Any temptation we face is the difference between a passing pleasure and a lasting treasure, and we have to decide. Are we going to put our lasting treasures at risk for passing pleasures? So in the, in the time that we have left, I want to share with you just a couple of keys, a couple of steps to getting the edge over temptation in our lives. We're going to call them, we're going to call them the ABCs of overcoming temptation. And the first step is simply this, to just, just simply acknowledge. Just acknowledge, hey, there's an area that's tough for me. There's, an, there's some junk in the road in my life that's tough. You got to call it out. You got to say what it is. And you say, well, I don't, know. I don't know if I really have anything. Well, everybody's got something. Even Superman had kryptonite. We've all got an area that we're vulnerable. So what is it? What is it for you? What's that thing or things that gets in your way, that's holding you back and weighing you down? The sooner you say it out loud, the sooner you begin to have power over it in your life. So what is it? Maybe for you it's shopping. Right? I got three words for you. Amazon. Or if you're more sophisticated, Target. I'm no different. I'm just as guilty. Maybe for you, it's food or some kind of eating thing. Maybe for you, it's sex or pornography. Maybe for you, it's gambling or gaming or Netflix. Maybe for you, it's none of those things. Maybe for you, it's anger or pride or bitterness selfishness, unforgiveness, right? The list just keeps going. The point is, we've all got something. And so the first step in this is just to simply acknowledge what is that thing or things that tends to hold you back? Because the sooner you, again, call it out, the sooner you begin to have power over it. Second step in this process is simply this, set a boundary. Set a boundary between you and whatever that thing is. Think of a boundary like a guardrail. 
A guardrail's job is to keep your car at a reasonable distance from driving off a cliff or driving into oncoming traffic. So then a great boundary is no difference. A, a great boundary keeps you at a reasonable distance from danger, keeps you at a reasonable distance from that thing that causes you to stumble. So think about it. What's a good boundary to put in place? I'll give you some examples from our life, one of which you already know about. Right? For me, sobriety is a boundary. That's a decision I had to make. Sobriety is a boundary because it's better for me, it's better for my family, it's better for all of us if I'm sober. Trust me, right? So sobriety is a boundary for me. Another boundary in our house is we have just made the decision we're not going to carry credit card debt in our budget. It's just not something we're going to do. Several years ago, we signed up for my wife and I, the, the Dave Ramsey, the financial peace course. And we didn't sign up because Dave Ramsey's so funny and so great, although he is. We signed up because I shipwrecked our finances and racked up a ton of stupid debt. And so we had to get it under control. So we took the class and we did the steps and we paid it all off. And now we live on a budget and our budget doesn't include credit card debt. Again, that's just a boundary for us. Another boundary in our house is my wife and I share all of our passwords. Right? She has full access to my laptop, my phone, my email, all my social media accounts. I have full access to all of hers. We just... We just like to keep everything out in the open. For us, it's just better that way. Now listen, I'm not telling you you got to put these boundaries in place in your life. I'm just saying you got to decide what's a good, healthy boundary that's going to serve you and your family well and keep you at a reasonable distance from whatever it is that might trip you up. The third step in this is just to simply communicate it out loud to somebody else. Say it out loud to somebody else what that thing is and what boundary you've put in place. You want an interesting Bible fact so you look smart at your next party? There are almost 30, just over 33,000 verses in the Bible from the first page to the last page. 33,000. Now, that's not what's interesting. What's interesting is that nowhere in 33,000 verses does God have any one of his people following him alone. He's always got us connected. Right? He's always got us connected to the people. That's why we talk about the th three C's around here, right? We celebrate, we connect, and we contribute because God keeps us connected because this journey is tough and we're on a mission. So get connected, right? Find someone that you trust and have a conversation that sounds something like this. Hey, uh, can I be real with you real quick? Can we just be real? Okay. Listen, I, I kind of struggle in this area over here and... Um, I've decided I'm going to put this boundary in place to keep me at a reasonable distance from it. Can you just pray for me and maybe check in every once in a while, make sure I'm doing okay? That's it. That's it. So who's someone in your life you trust enough to have that kind of conversation with? Could be a friend, a best friend, could be a family member, could be someone in your life group, a Stevens minister, could be the leader of your, the ministry that you serve in, right? There's tons of people. Find someone and have a conversation that sounds like that. In recovery... One of our mantras is, it's our secrets that keep us sick. So don't stay sick, right? Get it out in the open. Now listen, one more note on this idea of communicate, because I get it. That's hard. That's a big step. I probably lost half of you on that one. That's a huge, what, what if they don't like me anymore? What if they judge me? What if they're not my friend anymore, right? That's a tremendously vulnerable moment to come out clean with someone else like this. I get it. But let me tell you something I like about this church. Right? Well, there's a lot of things I like about River Ground. I've been on staff here a little over two months. There's a lot of things I like about this church. Not just free coffee and the fact that we're selling barbecue after service today. That's pretty awesome. But one thing I love about this church is that this is a real church full of real people. 
It's full of real people who have real struggles on a very real faith journey. That's why we call the series Real Prayer for Real People. And so don't let fear get in your way. This is a safe place for you. Find someone that you trust and have that conversation. As we wrap up today, I want to revisit our friend Pinocchio. And I want to ask you this question. Remember when he was out on the island making a you-know-what of himself? Where was his father? Remember Geppetto? A sweet old man. Where was he when Pinocchio was out making a mess of his life? Do you remember? A lot of us would expect him to be standing on the front porch just waiting for him to come home so he could get the whipping of his lifetime. And who would blame him, right? He deserved it. He messed up. He blew it. But if you remember the story, his father isn't even home. He packed a bag and went looking for his son. He loves his son. And he went looking for him to find him and repair their relationship and bring him back home again. And listen, you guys, you need to hear this this morning. Our Heavenly Father did the very same thing for every one of us. He left heaven to come looking for each one of us to repair our relationship so that someday we can be at home with him. And you need to hear this. If you're like me and you struggle with temptation in your life, let me just tell you something. God's not mad at you. He wants to help you overcome your temptations. And if you're like me and there's been moments where you've just made an absolute mess out of your life, you need to hear this. God loves you. And he wants to help you put your life back together. Our God is a loving father who wants nothing more than to just be with us and love us. And he invites us into his mission, the greatest mission on earth, the most significant thing that we could ever be a part of. And that, I mean, really all of this is why Jesus taught us to pray for protection every single day. <sighs> Heavenly Father, what else can we say right now but thank you? Father, thank you for your love for your grace and for the faithfulness that you showed to leave heaven and come looking for us. And God, thank you that, that you love us so much. You didn't wait for us to get our lives put back together. You didn't find us when we had everything going right and all the details buttoned up and we were scoring A's and none of that. God, you found us in our mess and you loved us anyway. You extended your hand to us anyway. So thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, that you have a love that we barely, barely, barely understand. And thank you that you have a love that is unending for all of us. God, we pray. I pray for all of us as a church right now that you would help us to acknowledge the area or areas in our life that are holding us back, that are weighing us down. Give us the courage to call those things out. God, give us the wisdom and the boldness to set boundaries, tough boundaries in place to keep us at a distance from those things that can harm us. Oh God, help make it possible to have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with someone we trust to communicate the areas where we struggle and the boundaries you've put in place. Give us the courage and provide us the people in our lives to do that. 
God, I pray specifically today for any individual here and every individual watching online that really genuinely struggles in a specific area. And they have failed time and time and time again. And they just feel like a wreck, God. I pray that your spirit would wrap them up right now and you would just tell them how much you love them, that you're not mad at them, you're not disappointed. You just love them and want to bring them home. God, I pray, I just say thank you that you invite us into the greatest mission on earth to be a part of your story and all of your children that you want to bring home. Thank you that you allow us to be a part of that. I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful to that and we would ultimately bring you glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.